normally I'm, I'm used to that headset microphone, you know, the, the Britney Spears thing um, helps out a lot. But today, hey, we don't, we don't have it and we're okay. If you have a problem hearing me, just listen harder and you'll be fine. Don't you love that? Uh, hey, we are, uh, I'll, I'll admit, um, I am worn out today. Like, I'm tired. It's been a crazy week. Like, I don't think Amazon's ever been to our house as much as they have this week because we don't have a church office, so we don't have a place to get stuff shipped. And I'm sure they got tired of bringing stuff to our house. If you need cardboard boxes, I think Kip's already laid claim to most of them. Uh, but if you need some, we got them. Um, if you just want to have a bonfire, we can do that. We can do whatever you want. But it's been, like, it's been a crazy week. Um, and so my family and I, we're leaving on vacation as soon as we get done today. And I didn't think I was going to be able to, to unplug and do that, but we're going to do it this week. And if something happens while I'm gone, it happens. But reach out to Zach or Neil or Andrew. Um, and if you really need me, shoot me a text. We'll be fine. But otherwise, we're going to go and uh, try, not to, try not to do anything. And so it's going to, and it's going to be loud. There's going to be about 47 kids in that house, I think, because it's a big family vacation. So we may be more tired when we come back than when we leave. Uh, debated whether or not to tackle this passage today. Because I am. Like, I'm tired. Like, I'm just, I'm tired. Um, prayed about it, need to hear it, need to say it, and there's, there's parts of this, um, it's beyond weighty, like it's beyond heavy, like this is critical, I mean it's critical, up until now, like in the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus do some amazing stuff, we've seen him teach like physically, like say hey this is who I am, and let me prove it to you, by what I do. And as a result, people have looked and they believe, they place their faith in him, they've done some stuff. But in this passage today, huge shift is about to occur. Like Mark, like we said, Michael Bay of gospel, a lot of stuff going off. You know, crocodiles bite people's arms off. No, that doesn't happen. But there's a lot of great stuff that happens in the book of Mark, really action-packed. In this place that we're going to be today, like the shift occurs from, hey, watch me to learn who I am and what I can do. And today, the shift starts to occur is to listen to me so that I can teach you who I am and who you need to be. And so today, vital shift. It goes from observing things to actually hearing and beginning to heart process things. And it's vital. Because the passage that we looked at last week, it was you know, such an anomaly of, of miracles in the way that Jesus did things because we never saw Jesus do things partially. So there was a reason that he did what he did. What we saw last week when he healed the man of being blind, he healed him in stages. Like he did the spit, he did the touch, he did the pray thing again. And he said, can you see? And he's like, well, I can, I can see, but I can't see really clearly. People look like trees. Like what we talked about last week, it was like there were like chunks of broccoli walking around. And he touched him again, he prayed again, and then he could see clearly. And we talked about this wasn't a mistake that Jesus did. No, it was actually revealing to the disciples, like, look, I'm going to redeem you, but then I'm going to sanctify you in stages. I'm going to make you more into who you need to be, and it's not going to happen instantly. Totally redeemed, totally paid for, totally bought with a price that you can't afford, but the way in which you grow and become more like Jesus, it may take a while. Some people may do it quicker than others. Some people may revert to being a baby overnight. But either way, that's okay. It's just the fact and understanding that, look, salvation is entire. It's in totality when Jesus does it. But our sanctification, us being made more and more like Christ, sometimes it takes a little while. We need to bear that in mind as we read the passage today because the things that happen here, uh, while it may seem like a short, short passage, it's one of those that, man, the luggage attached to it is huge. There's a lot there. So let me pray. And we're going to jump in and read. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, God, for a peace that surpasses exhaustion. 
Thank you, God, for knowledge uh, that leads us to an understanding, but it couldn't happen unless you speak to us. God, thank you for reaching out because we could not reach you. Thank you so much for Christ. Thank you so much for the sufficiency of his death, the beauty of his life, the teaching of his words, and the salvation that rests, and if we just believe. God, thank you for being a God who cares enough to uh, reach out to the children uh, that he has for himself. And God, we can't say thank you enough today. We love you. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, it's also going to be up on the screen, I think. Um, Like I said, nothing's blown up yet. Pretty amazing. Um, And and Rob's done a lot. A lot of people, Sarah, Water, so many people have done so much this week to make sure that things happen today. Um, But if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 8, we're just going to look at 27 through 30. So let's read together. It's up there. That's awesome. Look, I even like that font. That's amazing. Way to go, Roberto. It's almost as pretty as your locks. Um, Rob's got beautiful hair, by the way. Anyway, we're going we're gonna to look at this and not look at Rob. So here we go. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist Others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets, or one of the Old Testament prophets. And then he asked them, he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them, tell no one. Short. Little. Really stinking big. In the context of what we read last week, same idea. He was doing what he did for the disciples for the purpose of showing the disciples, look, your salvation is intact, but your sanctification is going to take time. Up until then, this proclamation probably could not have been made. Because, I mean, remember, like even on the boat when they were with Jesus and Jesus calmed the storms, they looked around at each other and they asked, they were like, who who is this? At this point, this stage in the game, they had been with Jesus for a year and a half to two years, walking with him, listening to him, eating with him, sleeping beside him on the cold, damp ground. Uh, They had watched him do miracles. They had seen him do things that were impossible. Yet even at this stage, and even just the passage that we read last week, when they were 25 miles to the south, they still probably were not at a place in which they could have said this. And so it's vital for us to understand, like, At some point in the life of me and in the life of you, we're going to be asked the same question. We're going to be asked the same question. Who do you say that I am? And everything rides on the way that we answer. Everything. You're like, man, well, that's that's a lot of pressure, Jim Bob. Well, yeah, my name's not Jim Bob, but again, it is a lot of pressure. But I want us to think a little bit about what's going on in this particular text. And so... Like I said, this marks a shift. Next week, um, Zach is going to continue kind of teaching through this shift because Jesus is about to unload like a really big box of some very, very heavy stuff. No pressure, Zach. Um, Look forward to not being here and hearing you do it. Um, But yeah, a lot of weight. And over the next several weeks, we're going to see Jesus go back. We're going to see some healings. But in the meantime, over the rest of this book, for the most part, there is going to be some watching, but a lot of it's just going to be very listening driven, a lot of teaching and stuff like that. So in this particular place, they're leaving where they were last week. 
They, he healed the blind man at Bethsaida, and now they're going about 25 miles to the north. Uh, they're going to Philippi, Caesarea, but they're going to the villages surrounding it. They're not actually going into the big city. In the book of Mark, most of the time Jesus doesn't do that. He goes to the surrounding villages and places, uh, mainly because if he had gone to the masses, then the masses would come to him, and it would have made it very difficult for him to do and say and teach the way that he needed to do leading up to the cross. And so they had another road trip. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, like if you're in a car with someone for a while or in a boat the way that Jesus does it a lot of time with his disciples, like it's really hard to just have the weather conversation for very long. Like you're not just going to be able to talk about, hey, you know, it's really nice out here. It's really hot, you know, any, any of that stuff. Or maybe it's raining so much that we all got flooded this morning. You're not going to be able to talk about that all the time. And so Jesus, uh, kind of out of, out of the, uh, the normal context of the way that a rabbi functions, he stops in the middle of this and he asks his disciples a question. A majority of the time, and there's a, there's a little bit of contention about the way that rabbis dealt with their disciples because all rabbis would have disciples. And Jesus was, he was a teacher, rabbi, rabbi, in the very uh, literal sense of the word, he was a teacher who had followers. And so a lot of the times it wasn't them asking his disciples questions, it was waiting for them to ask questions and he would answer. But in this case, Jesus kind of turns things a little bit and he just asks them a couple questions. Really, really simple. Um, and the first question is just, Hey, you've been around the people. Who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? Now, the people, in this sense, they had pretty much seen everything that the disciples had seen. Um, they were clamoring around Jesus. Like, Jesus had the 12, but he also probably had 100 to 200 other people that were following him pretty regularly. They were like general disciples. You know, they weren't the specific 12 who were named and who were with him all the time. But he had these other people, like, you know, they were kind of like groupies. You know, and some were more devout than others, but they were. They were following him. They were seeing the things that he had done. They were hearing the things that he had done. They were paying close attention. And he says, who do the people, these people, say that I am? And so their answer, they were like, well, some say John the Baptist, by the way, who's already dead. Okay? Uh, some say Elijah, Old Testament prophet, one of the great Old Testament prophets. And there was some idea that because of the way that he was taken away, that he was going to come back in some type of fashion. So people were like, some say Elijah. Some say like, you know, one of the other Old Testament prophets, like Jeremiah, maybe Isaiah. But you're speaking with some pretty emphatic language. And so people think maybe you're one of them. And same way in which we go back and we look at like Herod, when he killed John the Baptist, or when John the Baptist was killed, Herod was kind of going back in Mark chapter 6 of like, man, uh, you know, I hear about this Jesus, I kind of think that it's John the Baptist. He's come back to life because he's doing some crazy stuff. And so people were confused. The people that had seen, the people that had watched, the people that had heard all the things that Jesus had been doing when he asked the disciples, who did they say I am? Not a single one of them identified him as anyone other than maybe John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, maybe one of the Old Testament prophets. Pretty interesting. They had seen a lot. They had seen Jesus do things that no ordinary person could do. Now, granted, you go back in the Old Testament, Elijah, through the power of God, he did some pretty crazy stuff. Raised people from the dead, you know, did some pretty stuff. There, you know, there's even this dry bones passage in the Old Testament, pretty freaky. Some amazing stuff happened in the Old Testament with God's power on display through people. But when asked, who am I, to these people, they're like, mm, mm, John the Baptist, prophet, something like that. That's what they said. So then Jesus asked a second question. Again, probably out of character of a rabbi. Um, and he says, who do humice say that I am? You're like, well, I've never heard that word. You, you probably haven't, and that's okay, and I'll never say it again, most likely. But if we read it just in simple English, it just says, well, who do you say that I am? But it's not like that. Like, actually, it's a, it's a very uh, 
infrequently used word that just is literally like, who do you say that I am? Like a lot of emphasis on you, like capital Y-O-U with some exclamation points on both sides. Like, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Here's the pivotal question. To the 12 and to the we. Who do we say that Jesus is? Like A.W. Tozer, love Tozer. I love, I love the fact that, number one, he's, uh, he wrote a 60-page book that I've reread so many times in Knowledge of the Holy. And in one place, he, uh, he just kind of writes about idolatry. We, we think about idolatry. We talk about it a little bit, like putting anything before God, worshiping that. Maybe we're not bowing down, but we're placing great value on that ahead of God. That's idolatry. And he says the, the biggest piece of idolatry that we commit as the American church is having an inappropriate or an incomplete view of God, and that's what we worship. Because what we think about God, in his words, is everything. It's paramount. It's primary. That's exactly what Jesus is asking his disciples. He's like, who do they say that I am? Okay, I heard that. But who do you say that I am? Like you. You that have been with me, like with me, named by me, called out by me, out of your boats, out of your tax booths, to follow me, be my disciples, uh, to be uh, uh, changed by me, to be on mission with me, to leave everything that you have in favor of me. Like, who do you, who do you say that I am? Because I've heard what they say, but who do you say that I am? It's interesting what Peter says. Because there's a couple, there's so many things in this short little passage that, that blow me away. Like, number one, Jesus doesn't try to refute what the other people say. Like, he doesn't say, hey, they are so wrong. He doesn't say, what are they thinking? No, he just turns to his 12. He just says, but who do you say that I am? They say something interesting. Now, we read it in English, and it just, it, it sounds like normal, because again, we've got traditional hindsight that we look back at Scripture, because we've been hearing it most of our lives, whether we've been following Jesus or not. Like, even in our culture that we call post-Christian, we're not there yet. I mean, you can still turn on the radio at Christmas time and you can hear the gospel, so we're not post-Christian yet. We're getting there. We're not there yet. Uh, but most of us have some type of exposure to this. And so when we read this phrase, like, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ. It just kind of flows off our tongue like, you know, no big deal. Huge deal. Chronologically, it's the first time other than the angels at Jesus' birth in which people have identified Jesus as someone other than Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus the son of a carpenter or a, a really wise man or a great teacher or somebody that I just want to strangle. Like that's, I mean, those are the ways that he's been identified at this point. But in this place, Peter, Peter of all people, speak first, think later. Peter, which I love about him, and I might be like him a little bit, like he's just like, hey, you, you're the Christ. And we hear that and we're like, well, yeah, that's his name. No, not really. It wasn't his name. It was a descriptor of his name. And what Christ literally meant was uh, Christ meant a couple things. It could mean in Luke it was, uh, and there were some modifiers put on it in Luke, it was Christ of God. Matthew said Christ, son of the living God. Matthew, very Jewish, so he's going to attach those things. But basically it could have meant one of two words. Uh, one, it could have meant Messiah. If it was spoken in Hebrew tongue, it would have been Messiah, or the Hebrew word that we use for Messiah. Uh, in Greek, it would have been Christ. But either way, it means an understanding of deliverer deliverer. We think that Messiah is an Old Testament word that's come up a lot. We're just like, hey, we talk about the Messiah all the time, and that's what this word would have been as spoken in Hebrew tongue. Uh, we think about that it just came up all the time in the Old Testament. Guess what? It didn't. 
That wasn't a word that popped up in Hebrew in the Old Testament. Maybe a couple times, but really not even directly in reference to Jesus. But what it was, when someone said that you were the Messiah, it was a Jewish understanding of since I was born, since I could hear, since I began to sing songs, since I began to go to temple, I've heard about this promise that someone is coming and he's going to deliver me. He's going to redeem me. He's going to save me. And you're asking me who you are? That is who you are. We can think that Jesus is good. We can think that he's wise. We can think that he tells the truth better than anyone else. But if we don't latch on to this idea and hold it with all that we have, that he is our only deliverer, we've missed the reason he's done everything. And we've missed him. Who do you say that I am? And Peter just says, you're the one we've heard about. You're the one we've been waiting for. I don't understand it fully, but you're our deliverer. You're the one who's been promised to save us. Everything hinges on who we believe Jesus to be. Everything. If we're believing that Jesus is a version of something other than our deliverer, other than our Savior, we have an incomplete view and a poor Christology. He didn't come to be good. He didn't come to be wise. He didn't come to just tip the religious world on its head. He came to redeem. He came to deliver. He came to fix what was broken. A prophet can't do that. John the Baptist could not do that. Elijah, as great as he was, calling fire from the heavens, could not do that. But only a Messiah could do that. Now imagine, again, we talk about like a hermeneutic in which we place ourselves in the people's shoes that are there. Like imagine some some wayward Jewish believers. Imagine that you were were somewhat religious, you know, maybe even to, to really religious, like in Paul's case. Maybe you were somewhat religious, and and from the time that you were born, you had heard that one day, one day, someone's coming, and he's going to deliver us. Now, those messages had been misconstrued. They had been talked about like in the form of political or, or military and things like that. But at the base and the very root of it, imagine that since you were born, you had heard stories. A lot of us are probably our median age in here is probably, you know, 30. Now, it used to be like 23, and it made me feel really old. But now we're at 30, so I don't feel so old anymore. But like our median age is about 30. Imagine for 30-some-odd years, let's say 27, because you really don't comprehend what people are saying until you're three. 27 years, you've been hearing that. I'm sorry. I don't know what that was, but that was really funny. Um, thank you for the amen in the form of a burp. Um, we're going to get back on the train. Imagine... For 27 some odd years, you had been hearing the story that one day this person's coming, he's going to fix everything that's broken. He's going to be amazing. Um, The best that we've seen cannot even compare. He's going to be all those things. And imagine in this moment, these guys walking with Jesus for one and a half, two years, and the light goes off of just, oh man, I've I think this guy who called us out of our boat to follow him, to be changed by him, and to be mission on, on mission with him, I, I think he's the Messiah that we've heard about since we were kids. 
imagine like Peter's heart in this moment. Like Peter, speak first, think, think later heart. Like imagine his heart in the moment when Jesus kind of turns to him. Hey, who do they say that I am? Well, we say this, they say this, that kind of thing. Well, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Christ. Like imagine his heart in this moment. Like when it goes off. Of this is the one we've been waiting for. Imagine that. Now 2,000 years later, imagine us. We, we, haven't, we didn't have the, the Jewish ideology and pressure on us. And to be honest, we live in a world that's going to say some very different things about who Jesus is. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But do you remember, do you remember the day and the place and the time of your salvation? Like, I think it's an amazing heart exercise, an amazing mental exercise, and also an incredible spiritual exercise when we go back to that moment in which our covenant relationship with Jesus started. Do you remember, can you go back to that in your mind and in your heart? And can you apply what you know now to that and be like, oh man, I was pledging my life to the deliverer, to the Messiah. Not just someone good, not just someone smart, but like the one that was promised from Genesis, by the way. From Genesis, from the beginning, right after the fall, he was promised to come and deliver Apply what we know now to that moment and look back at it and be like, wow, that's a huge declaration. Romans 10 informs us that, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart, then, then we'll be saved. Because we confess with our mouth, we believe here, and that leads to salvation. But it starts with this understanding and knowing that this is the Christ. Now in Matthew's account, parallel is going to be in Matthew chapter 16. He adds a few more things to it. He adds a little bit of a modifier to who Peter called him, but same idea. Mark tends to kind of compress things a little bit, and it's okay. But in Matthew, right after Peter made this exclamation, Jesus looked at him. He's like, man, Simon, son of John. That's amazing. Do you know why it's amazing, Peter? Because you didn't come up with that on your own. That's a gift from God. Here's the other thing. We need to understand we're not going to come to this realization on our own merit. <laughs> we're not going to figure this out with our amazing intellectual ability. The fact that we know who Jesus is is a gift of grace. It's a huge gift of grace. That he has reached out to those who could not reach him and enabled us to understand that this Jesus is not just good, he's not just smart, he's not just wise, but he's the Christ. He's the one that came to deliver us. The one in which we place our hope squarely in. He's that. So I think the first thing that we do with this passage is like we need to understand to actually know who Jesus is in an understanding and in a salvific way is a huge blessing. And I know you're like, duh. No, 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 but seriously. Like we need to understand like the fact that we are allowed to know who Jesus is actually and truly like that's a massive blessing it's a massive blessing and i didn't earn it you didn't earn it we didn't make it happen we could not like we could not make it happen that ephesians passage we'll toss that up uh, ephesians a very weighty and heavy book but especially in those early chapters it says for the for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing it is a gift of god like understanding that like our ability to actually know Jesus in a way in which leads to salvation so that we can believe in him, like we didn't manufacture that. 
Because if we did, the passage goes on to say that because if it was of works, we'd all brag about it. He's like, we don't have any room to brag because you didn't do it. Salvation's a gift of God, from God, for God. And that's just mind-blowing. He looked at Simon. He was like, Simon, son of John, amazing that you know that. It's amazing that you know that because you didn't come up with it. God gave that to you. So if, if we actually know Jesus, we have to understand like it is an amazing, huge blessing. At this point, the disciples, they had heard and seen it all, but even they looked back at one point, just a few chapters previous, maybe six, eight months ago, and when Jesus did something miraculous, they were like, man, who is this guy? They didn't know. But as a result of the grace of God being displayed on the disciples, he did allow them through uh, revealing himself, through Jesus, through his words, through all of those things. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, according to Romans 10. Like, they knew that Jesus was more than just good. More than just a prophet. He was that Messiah, that Christ that they've been waiting on. And so, yes, we understand that this knowledge of Jesus, knowing Jesus, it's a huge blessing. And I, I think I, one of my mentors, like, he, he frequently says, like, Jesus be treasured. Like, Jesus be treasured. Like, we have to make that choice. We need to do that. Like, we need to actually look at the fact that we've been united with God through Jesus, and we need to be so grateful for it that we actually say something in, in, in form like this, like, God, thank you for letting me know you. Because it's that big. Like, we've been allowed to know God. We shouldn't know God. Like, you understand, like, even the smallest sin that I commit, that should cut me off from ever knowing or being known by God or trying to make him known. Like, that's how bad sin is by comparison to a holy, 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 unreachable God. But God, being rich in mercy, according to Ephesians also, came down to us because we couldn't reach him. And that's a gift that we need to treasure. Like, Jesus be treasured. Ah. <sighs> And I think we have to choose to do that, even in our saved state, even in our, our state that we've been redeemed. Like, I think it's, it's, it's up to us to say, you know what, God, I'm going to be incredibly grateful for the salvation that you've granted to me that I didn't earn, that I didn't work out on my merit, that you did. You asked me to participate, but I'm going to be incredibly grateful. Incredibly grateful. But I think this is the other thing that we have to do and understand with this passage, too. Even like the first question before he got to what do you think of me, kind of working in reverse order, he asked them first, what do, who do they say that I am? And he, they just listed all the things that people are saying. Well, John the Baptist, prophet, Elijah, that kind of guy, um, but nobody said the Christ. I think we need to come to a clear understanding. Yes, we're going to treasure the fact that we know God, but we're going to understand that the world is going to disagree with us. The world's going to disagree with us. That's okay. That's okay. You know, the crazy thing is, um, we have people that disagree with us every day. Whether you're a Ford person, a Chevy person, an electric person, a gas person, a diesel person, you have people that are going to tell you that you're wrong every day, but we don't get bent out of shape about that, and we don't go and, and completely reorient our entire way of life because someone feels a little bit different about that. Rent on. It doesn't matter. You know, people are going to always disagree with us on certain things. But we don't let that just wreck us and be like, oh, that's so crazy. I think I need to go back to the drawing board and figure everything out. People are always going to disagree. 
But one thing that we can look at and see that this is incredibly different is the world's going to disagree with us. And not only disagree with us, we're going to be insulted. We're going to be hated. We're going to be uh, called out of the rest of society. You're going to be called ignorant. Uh, you're going to be called all kinds of things. If you say, yes, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ. I do believe that he's the Messiah that we've been waiting on. I do believe that he is our only chance at hope and salvation. And there is no other way. And if my life is not in him, then I don't have life. We make those claims. The world's going to say we're crazy. But here's the thing about making those claims and the way that it affects us. It affects us at a deeper level. And it's not just that it's personal, it's because it's spiritual. It's because it's spiritual. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6, I'm going to throw that up. And it says, and even if, our, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The reason that the world is going to assault us harder about claiming Christ is because there is someone out there that doesn't want us to claim Christ. And believe it or not, his name's Satan. He's entirely real. He is the prince of this world, at least for a little while longer, and he's going to mobilize as many forces as we can to keep people from actually claiming Jesus as the Christ. And so that's the reason, like, we hear, uh, yeah, I drive a diesel, you drive electric. Well, that's okay, let bygones be bygones. But then if someone says, oh, you believe in Christ, well, you're an idiot. The reason is there's so many forces that want us not to believe in Christ. So many that want us to not trust in him as our savior so many that according to romans 10 don't want us to declare him as our lord and trust him and declare him as our lord in our heart and with our mouth and to be saved like he's coming after us and doesn't want us to believe the world will disagree with us yes but understand there will be forces that will come after us the closer we get to christ and that just goes to prove even a little bit more that he's legitimate that he's real that he's worth our trust, that he's worth our life, that he's worth our very, our very just pursuit. Because there's so many things telling us not to. So what do we do with that? I think number one, we hold on tighter. And we speak louder. We hold on tighter, we speak louder because understand like we've talked about with faith people bringing people to jesus to be healed or later to be saved like my faith is personal but it's not private it also affects other people the way that i'm trusting in jesus to redeem others like this is very vital and very important and so yes i need to hold on tight to the fact that jesus be treasured but i need to speak clearly and loudly about the fact that he needs to be treasured by more people like they need to hear from me from you that by grace through faith, they too can know Jesus, treasure Jesus, be redeemed by Jesus. Like our voices, our stories, the gospel that rests in me, that is plan A for salvation for people. That is plan A. And to be honest, there is no plan B. Because God wanted to build his church, and if we go and we look at the passage in Matthew, Jesus is even referencing Peter and not just talking directly about Peter, but to the disciples saying, look, on you I will build my church. You people that have declared me as the Christ, and from here the kingdom will grow based on your declaration. For us, Jesus be treasured, but for us, Jesus be spoken highly of too. They go together. Because at the end of the day, we can't really treasure something unless we're willing to speak of it, right? 
I mean, like the things that we really love, like whatever it may be. I mean, we're brand loyal to a fault. Like I am, maybe. Let me, let me say I statements. I'm brand loyal to a fault. If I find something that I really like and I think that it works, I'm going to tell people about it. You know, I, I am. Like if you're going to buy a fishing reel, you should buy Okuma because that, that's the only brand you need. Am I right? To me, I am. To you, I don't care. But I'm going to tell you, you should buy that. I'm brand loyal to a fault. AT&T, best cell phone carrier out there. iPhone, uh-uh, Android for me. But either way, that's just who we are. The things that we treasure are the things that we speak about. Like, look, if we are treasuring Jesus with like both hands and our heart and our mind and everything that we have, there's no way that we can legitimately treasure Jesus without actually speaking of him. Hold on tight and speak loudly. If we truly believe that he's the Christ, the deliverer, and that's the reason everything hinges on this one question, but who do you say that I am? Everything flows out of that. Because we can't just believe that the Messiah is just for me. Like he looked at the disciples and what they were saying, they were saying it collectively, even though Peter was the mouthpiece. Like they, he wasn't saying, well, you know, they all say this, but me, just Peter, I say that you're the Christ. No, they were together in that. It's we, we believe this. To the point that we understand that we believe this and we need to take it in all the places that we go. Jesus released them at the time in which he ascended back to where he was supposed to be. And he said, look, now all I want you to do, this is it. This is it. I want you to be my witnesses here. I want you to go a little further. I want you to go a little further. Go to the place where you hate them, they hate you. Then go as far as you can imagine. And all that you have to do, this is it. Just tell people what you've seen. Tell people what you've heard. Tell people what you've experienced. Be my witnesses. And by the way, when you go, I'll be with you always. My very spirit's going to rest on you. You're not going to have to do it in your power, in your understanding. I'm going to be with you for it all. All you have to do is do it. I got the rest. If Jesus is the Christ. He's not just the Messiah for me. He's the Messiah who, for all who will believe. And that's not up to me to decide. It's up to him to decide. All I have to do is be obedient and speak and let God do what he will. And that's crazy. That's crazy. But who do you say I am? Everything rests on that. I think we have an option. As a church, here, in this city, for this city, for the glory of God, we can, we can be two different types of people. We can be the type of people that think that Jesus is a good idea, or we can be the type of people that understand that there's no hope without him. And if we're the people that think that Jesus is a good idea, we're going to publicize him like we do our internet service providers. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to say, hey, I've had good service. This has been good. I give four out of five stars if we think that Jesus is a good idea. But if we think that Jesus is a primary, like Jesus is it, like he's the Messiah, not just the Messiah for me, but the Messiah for all who will believe, and he's truly treasured, we're going to look very different. It may cost us because the world's not going to agree. It may bring pain because people aren't going to like it. But it will also bring glory to God, which we're bound to, which we're dependent upon. And it may also add people to his kingdom. And that's a win-win. So we can think he's a good idea. 
or we can think he's primary. But we have to choose. We do. And I know that in the theological battleground of our mind to, to talk about God's choice, our choice, yeah, it does. Like, it wrecks us. But at the same time, we can make it far too complicated, and we just need to understand God calls us to obedience. God calls us to trust. God calls us to go. What a blessing. <laughs> There's no way that I deserve that. There's no way you deserve that. I know a lot of you. There's no way you deserve that. And that's not a, that's not a slight at you, but man, to be called his and to take his name out should have never happened. But it has. By grace, through mercy, we get to. God, we love you. We thank you for beautiful declarations of you are the Christ. So seemingly simple, but so vital. God, I pray for those of us who can claim that loudly and boldly right now. But God, I, I thank you for those that are sitting here who can't. God, I thank you for those that are, that are sitting here that are wrestling with just that question. Like, Jesus, really, who are you? I thank you that they're here. And Father, I pray that you would move in them in ways that we can't understand, in ways that we can't engineer. Uh, but God, through the hearing of your word and through uh, the spirit that is dealing with them, God, I pray that you direct them to a place where they can call you Lord and Savior and trust you with their life and their eternity. And God, just like the disciples, when you called them out of their places, God, you would call them out of their places and say, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And understand it starts exactly where we are. I thank you, God, that you're a God that's not done. I thank you, God, that we have not yet received what we deserve. And God, I thank you that you're a God of grace and mercy. God, I pray that we would be a church, a family in this city for your glory um, that understand that, God, you're not just a good idea. You're the idea. You're primary. We would treasure you, and God, we would speak of you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you so much for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.